I want you to get your Bibles, whatever that looks like, whether it's electronic, whether it's your tablet, whether it's your phone, whether it's your binder, whatever it might be. Come on, get your Bibles in your hand. Come on, lift that Bible high unto the Lord. This is my Bible. God's holy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. The grass may wither, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. When I open my Bible, God opens his mouth. When I close my Bible, God closes his mouth. When I live in it and abide by it, I shall live life at its best. Hey, pastor, we are ready for the word. Pastor, we are ready for the word. Preach the word. I, I want you to look with me at the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, if you will. I want to read today from the King James Version, Matthew chapter 14, and I want to read beginning at verse 22. Here beginneth the reading of God's word. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. I, I wanna talk today from the subject, contrary winds. That's what I wanna talk about today, contrary winds. One of the most powerful forces of nature is the wind. God showed us just how powerful the wind is in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. The Lord tells Elijah in verse 11, go out and stand on the mount before me and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Again, I repeat, the wind is a powerful force of nature. The wind has the potential to knock you off balance. The wind can knock you down. The wind can cause you to lose some things. 
The wind is known to cause erosion. The wind can force you off course. Strong winds can wear you out, especially if you are facing the wind head on. I want to suggest to you that anyone who lives life will find themselves being confronted with contrary winds. Contrary winds are unavoidable. It's interesting to note that the Bible uses wind as a metaphor. There are winds of change. There are winds of opposition. There are winds of conflict, winds of trouble, winds of temptation, even winds of testing. The one thing that all of these have in common is the fact that they are all unavoidable and uncontrollable. Note this if you don't mind. Winds are uncontrollable. You can't control the wind. Whether it's the wind of change, whether it's the wind of conflict, the wind of opposition, or the wind of trouble, you can't control it. Why, Pastor? Because they either involve other people or they involve circumstances that can't necessarily be controlled. Winds are uncontrollable just as there are things in your life that are uncontrollable. There are relational winds. There are financial winds. There are spiritual winds and physical winds. And there are even, wait for it, mental winds that you can't always control. There's no sure way to prevent mental winds from blowing. It's not your fault that you're having this experience with a mental challenge. Most people and anyone who has experienced mental illness would be the first to tell you that no one would choose to be depressed. No one would choose not to want to get up out of bed. No one would choose to be paranoid or to have multiple personalities. No one would choose to be bipolar or schizophrenic. No one would choose to suffer from PTSD voluntarily. The winds of mental illness can impact any of us at any given time. More than half of the persons with mental wind challenges don't receive help for their disorders. Often people avoid or delay seeking treatment due to concerns about being treated differently or fears of losing their jobs and livelihood. And that's simply because of the stigma, the stigma and the prejudice and the discrimination against people with mental illness is still very much a problem. Stigma. Prejudice and discrimination against people with mental illness can be subtle or it can be obvious, but no matter the magnitude, it can lead to harm. People with mental illness are marginalized, discriminated against, and made to feel guilty about their condition. Understanding what that looks like and how to address and eradicate it could help. 
The stigma and guilt often come from lack of understanding or fear. Inaccurate or misleading media representation or even the mishandling by law enforcement officers of persons with mental illness contributes to those factors. And here's why. Because persons with mental illnesses are portrayed and perceived as violent. A review of studies on stigma shows that while the public may accept the medical or genetic nature of a mental health disorder and the need for treatment, many people still have a negative view of those with mental illness. Researchers identify three different types of stigma. Come on, hang with me. There is public stigma which involves the negative or discriminatory attitudes that others have about mental illness. But then there is the self-stigma, which refers to the negative attitudes, including internalized shame that people with mental illness have about their own condition as if they had a choice about their condition. But then there is institutional stigma, which is more systemic, involving policies of government and private organizations that intentionally or unintentionally limit opportunities for people with mental illness. Stigma not only directs, uh, directly affects individuals with mental illnesses, but it also affects the loved ones who support them and the community who resides with them. I come in, I need you to lean in. Listen, clearly, y'all, we can see that these same types of stigmas attached to persons uh, in, in our society are also attached to persons in the Bible who also suffered from mental illness. I, I know I'm right because over in the book of Mark, chapter five, we come across a man who suffered from schizophrenia who was chained among tombs rather than thriving among the living. And because of the stigma, the people of the community drove this man out of town and chained him among the dead where he would be less likely to be a candidate to hurt others or himself. They preferred him to be out of sight. Mm, preach, pastor. I'm doing the best I can. They preferred him to be out of sight and y'all therefore out of mind. And the stigma continues. The contrary winds of mental illness can show up at any time. They, they affect almost every family. The wind of mental illness can happen to a child, a brother, a sister, a grandparent, or a co-worker. It, it can happen to someone from any background, African-American. Alaska Native, Asian American, Hispanic American, Native American, Pacific Islander, or white Americans. It can happen to anyone from different income levels. The wealthy get it, y'all. The middle class gets it. The poor and those who live below the poverty line can happen to them. It can happen to anyone from different educational backgrounds. The, the, the degreed person can get it. The high school graduate, the GED, or even the dropout. No no person, no community, no class of people are off limits to the impact of the contrary winds of mental illness. It can occur at any stage of life from childhood to old age. In our text, come on, go to the Bible. In our text, in verse 22, 
Jesus makes the disciples get into the boat. God, he makes them get into the boat. The verse says immediately. Come on, read with me. He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. There are two things right here. Two things I see right here in verse 22. Number one, it was an instant action. And number two, he compelled them to get to the other side. Can I, can, can I leave something with you all before I go? Sometimes, y'all, the Lord pushes and compels us, and we don't always know why. God, listen, I'm going to do that again for you. Sometimes, y'all, the Lord pushes and compels us, and we don't even know why. Y'all, but here's what grabbed my attention. What grabbed my attention was the condition and the environment of which they were carrying out their assignment. Come on, look at verse 23. Don't close your Bibles on me. Watch verse 23. Verse 23 tells us that the wind was contrary to them. Now, it's important for you to note, this is not a storm. They were going against the wind. The wind is uncontrollable. Again, I say, this is not a storm. This was contrary winds. This was something that was working against them. The only reason the disciples are experiencing a problem was because they were trying to carry out the command that Jesus gave to them. Which brings me to my first point. Here it is, y'all. My first point, y'all, their condition is not their fault. Come on, right there, F-A-U-L-T. I want you to put it in the chat. Their condition is not their fault. They were doing what had been asked of them by he who is the righteous of righteousness. The disciples were doing what was right. Jesus had given them an assignment. While carrying out the assignment, the wind became contrary. Which means then, y'all, come on, watch this. Which means then that you can be a disciple of Christ doing what is right and still experiences challenges from contrary winds. I, I got one more for you. You can be saved and becoming sanctified and still suffer from contrary winds. The disciples were trying to be productive. They were trying to be progressive. They were trying to be present, but the wind was contrary. They were not making much progress, but they were still functioning. Their situation, their environment is of no fault of their own, and yet they are dealing with contrary winds. Nature is in revolt. The only reason the disciples are facing opposition is because nature is in revolt, something that is out of their control. The wind is contrary. Uh, yeah, listen, in the Gospel of John, we're told that they had only gone about four miles. This story, by the way, is in Matthew, Mark. It's not in Luke, but it's in John. The text says, y'all, in the Gospel of John, that they had gone only 25 to 30 furlongs. Furlong is about an eighth of a mile. So the disciples had only gone about three and a half to four miles in a 10 to 12 hour period. But the text tells us that even in the midst of opposition, that even in the midst of contrary winds, they were still trying. 
Y'all, please note, please note, please note, it would have been easier for them to turn the boat around and allow the wind to blow them back to shore where they had come from. It would have been easier, y'all, for them to allow the tailwind to push them back to where they had come from. The only reason the disciples had a problem was while carrying out the command of Jesus, they were experiencing contrary winds. Oh, I, I got to put some money in the meter and pause here for just a moment because I need somebody to know that, y'all, it would probably be easier to go back to where you've come from. But I've got news for you. Keep going in the direction that God God has called you to go. They could have gone back to where they came from. It would have been easier, but they kept trying. They kept rowing. It wasn't their fault that they were experiencing contrary winds. They were just trying to do what had been asked of them. Y'all, some, some long time misconceptions about mental illness is that the mental disorder is the sufferer's own fault. Or because you don't look like or act like someone with a mental disorder, you can just shake this thing off and quickly make an adjustment. I mean, after all, you are still being somewhat productive. Or, here another misconception, that you had a choice in the matter. Listen, let me help y'all with something. Mental illness is not anyone's fault any more than heart disease or diabetes is a person's fault. According to the Surgeon General's report, it states that mental disorders are health conditions that are characterized by alterations in thinking, mood, or behavior, or some combination thereof that's associated with distress and or impaired functioning. Mental illness is not a condition that people choose to have or not have. Y'all ain't listening to me. I said mental illness is not a condition that people choose or not to have. They, in fact, don't choose to have this. They don't wish that they had it. Y'all, they would try to avoid it. Just because I don't look like what I'm going through doesn't mean I'm not going through something. Mental illness are, is not, y'all, the results of willful, pendulant behavior. No one should have to feel ashamed of this condition any more than any other medical condition because suffering from a mental disorder is not your fault. It's not your fault. Y'all, in the midst of the contrary winds, the disciples <laughs> are still functioning. Ah, that's my second point, y'all. My second point is function. Yes, yes. Notice over in Mark's gospel, chapter six, verse 48. I read to you from the New Living Translation. It says it like this. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. Y'all, when it comes to persons with mental illness, they can't win either way. They're either too functional by appearance and little progress and therefore making excuses for their shortcomings, or they are too dysfunctional and is a burden to society. Let me lean, let me, let, let me, let me lean some, lean something with you all. Our society tends to value people in terms of productivity their function and their contribution in the economy of exchange. 
Yeah. See, economic contribution justifies existence. The economy has no room for those whose needs outweigh their contribution. In spite of their capabilities, people with disabilities who are not functioning according to society's standards are often presumed worthless and, and, and incapacitated. Either way, rather than acknowledging the impact mental illness has, we would rather espouse the thought that in both situations, the fault is still the sufferer of the disorder and that their value to us is dependent upon their functioning. Y'all, this kind of approach to mental illness personalized the sufferer's struggle in a way that's dehumanizing. They're seen as non-productive, dishonest, or insane. And in either case, it's their responsibility to deal with it rather than society's collective responsibility and ethical obligation to develop systems that would allow the sufferer to heal. Oh, man, listen, y'all, we've looked at fault. We've looked at function. If you don't mind, let's take a look now at foresight. Foresight, yeah. Um, I want to suggest that Peter had enough foresight to ask for help. Mm, God. Um, verse 28, verse 28, if you don't mind. Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. <laughs> verse 29. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Watch verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. Y'all, it's one thing to have enough foresight to see that you have a problem. But secondly, y'all, to know that you need help with the problem. And thirdly, to be willing to ask for help with the problem is monu monumental. It's monumental. God knows it is, y'all. Peter had enough foresight to recognize he needed some help. He asked Jesus to help him do that which seemed impossible, which would require the assistance of the supernatural. I'm going to park here for a moment, y'all. I want to tell y'all something right here. Listen, I need you to know that even those who have mental health challenges, I need you to know something. God can heal you supernaturally. But I also need you to know this. He uses medicine to get us to a place of stability in order to make our healing progressive. Mm. Uh, allow me to walk. Allow me just to keep, move a little further. Watch this, y'all. He says to Jesus, uh, Jesus, uh, sin for me if it's you. Uh, allow me to walk on this water. Bid me to come to you. Now, I, I got to tell you all this. This is important. You're not supposed to be able to walk on unwalkable surfaces that are not solid. You can't walk on liquid because they don't hold their shape. There's space between the atoms of a liquid and they move slightly all the time, preventing you from being able to walk on them. Peter, though, had enough foresight to ask Jesus for help to do the supernatural. Oh, God. But he also had enough foresight to ask for help when he became overwhelmed by his environment and circumstances. 
when he found himself going under, when he found himself sinking, he asked for help. I, I need y'all to notice, I need you to notice when the request came from Peter for help. I'm going to park here for, y'all, I'm, I'm preaching this because I need I, my brothers and sisters who are suffering from mental um, challenges to understand it's okay to ask for help. I want you to see when Peter, I want you to watch when the request came from Peter for help. Peter asked for help, number one, when things were out of his control. Oh, God. Y'all, here we go again. I said he asked for help when things were out of his control. Se Peter asked for help, secondly, when he became fearful. Ah, but right, I want to hang my hat on this one. But then thirdly, Peter asked for help when the original design was no longer functioning according to the intended purpose. You see, the boat was designed to float on top of the water. It was not designed to have water on the inside of the boat. Come on, please talk to me. But according to our text, what was designed to be outside the boat is now inside the boat, pre preventing the boat from functioning as its intended purpose. Peter, on the other hand, who was designed to be inside the boat, is now requesting to be outside the boat. Here it is. Bid me to come. Listen, y'all, it's okay to ask for help when things are out of your control. It's okay to ask for help when you are afraid. And it's okay to ask for help when your brain, wait for it, which is different from your mind, is functioning different from its intended purpose. God, preach, Pastor. I'm doing the best I can, y'all. We've got to create an environment for people with mental illness to be able to cry out for mental wellness without the shame and stigma that is attached. Y'all, asking for help can be incredibly difficult to do. First, because mental health still has a strong stigma attached to it worldwide. People are afraid that they're going to be labeled crazy if they see a mental health professional and worry it could impact their livelihood or even their reputation if anyone finds out. Illnesses that affect our brain also come with the idea that it's all in your head. And that's all that's needed is a simple attitude adjustment. In addition, y'all, people are afraid to ask for help because of self-worth. See, some believe that they are inadequate or a failure if they have to admit something is wrong with their mental health. I, I got one more for you. I'm, I'm almost through. Let me thank you for your time. Y'all, we've looked at default. We've looked at function. We've looked at foresight. Let me just ask y'all do one more thing. Let's look at um, family and friends. Yeah. Family and friends. Yeah. Yeah. Family and friends are needed. The Bible says that when Peter started sinking, he cried saying, Lord, save me. Verse 30. I couldn't help, I couldn't help, I couldn't help y'all but wonder, why didn't any other disciples try to save him? I mean, y'all, it's true that a drowning person will grasp at any straw. Certainly someone could have reached out to help one of their own. If we're going to defeat the foe, the disease of mental illness, 
is going to require family and friends. One of the best ways to help is to simply ask, how? It's not helpful to try to be someone's therapist, but you can still help. People don't like being told what to do. Asking how you can help, though, empowers them to take charge of their own recovery while also letting them know you are a source of support and wait for it. And how about you care? Hey, pastor, what do you want from us? What is it that you are hoping that we would get as a result of this sermon? What pastor, what actions do you want us to take? As it, as it relates to mental wellness in our community. Here's the first thing I want y'all to do. Listen, I spent all my time trying to develop the sermon to get you all to do this. One, I want you to educate yourself. Y'all, there are hundreds of mental health concerns. Your job is not to become an expert in all of them, but familiarizing yourself with common knowledge and symptoms can help you understand and convey your concerns. Here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to remain calm. Come on, put it in the chat for me. Remain calm. Recognizing that a loved one might need help can be daunting. But try to remain calm. Impulsively approaching the individual might make you seem insensitive or aggressive. Try to be mindful and patient. Let me give you number three. Here's number three. I want y'all to be respectful and patient. Before talking to someone about their mental health, reflect on your intentions to promote healing and keep that in mind. Ask how you can help in their recovery process and be cautious not to come off as controlling. Here's number four. How about listen Give your loved one the gift of having someone who cares about their unique experience. Don't bypass their narrative. Take time to thoroughly listen before giving advice. Let me help y'all with this. It's a privilege to have someone trust you enough to share intimate details of their mental health journey. Here's number five. Provide support. One of the best ways to help is to simply ask how you can support. Here's number six, establish boundaries. As you support your struggling loved one, it's important to consider both your boundaries and theirs. When trying to help someone, you are susceptible to neglecting yourself in the process. Boundaries will help you maintain your self-care while also empowering your loved one also. Y'all, we, we, we have to, we have to, we have to congregationally and individually combat the negative stigmas attached to having mental health challenges. We have to remind them who are having mental health challenges. Number one, you have a purpose. You do matter. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. We have to remind them who are having mental challenges. You belong. You do fit in. Romans 12, verse four through five. We've got to remind them that they have a choice. You don't have to give in or give up. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. 
Number four, you got to remind them that they are needed. You are needed. You are not useless. Second Corinthians one, verse three through four. But then number five, remind them that they're loved. You're not hated. According to 1 John 4 and 10, you are much loved. I, I like this, y'all. I want you to know this, that even in our worst state, God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. We've got to erase the stigma Y'all, that's what I want from you all. That's why we have spent the last five weeks dealing with an issue that's real, not only to our community, but real to the world. And I'm afraid that the body of Christ has missed a grand opportunity. And I don't want you all to miss any more opportunities to demonstrate the love of our God.